Hey everyone, and welcome to this episode of Co-Creating with AI. I'm Martin Schellström, and this uh, is my good friend Rasmus. How are you today, Rasmus? Good, thank you. I'm uh, up in the mountains, so I've actually been out in the slopes a little bit today, uh, which is amazing. It's sunny, and there's something when like being really high above ground that, I don't know, like seeing very far, that sort of speaks to me on some some deeper level or something. How are you doing? I'm great. The weather here is not exactly nice today. We super gray and and um, uh, not at all as sunny as I would have hoped after seeing the weather forecast at the beginning of the week. But uh, at least winter is seemingly over, and we're going towards lighter times and warmer times. Yeah, I mean it, it feels like it at least. But you know, Swedish April. It's yeah, sneaky. So, what's happening in the, in the AI world, uh, viewed from above, as you like it? Um, yeah, from the mountains, I can see the robots marching, um, you know, taking all our jobs. Uh, no, but uh, I think it's um, nice to get away and sort of get a little bit of perspective. Um, I mean, the the big thing that's happened since uh, since we last spoke or recorded a, uh, an episode at least, is the ChatGPT uh, plugins demo that was that was released, um, which gave, I think, a very clear frame of, I don't know, it, it sort of just clarified very tangibly, like in a very tangible way, that this is a new interface, that AI is a new interface, that you will be able to do pretty much everything you can do today yourself via computer you will be able to do via chat interface or a natural language interface at least whether that's text or it's um you know speech um probably the primary ones um and just the sheer amount of different examples that you could you know of of, of valuable things that chat gpt could do for you using different plugins like you know, finding a recipe, putting all those uh, ingredients in Instacart, uh, and then you just have to click to order. Or, uh, was, yeah, I mean, it could uh, sort of generate different types of files for you. It can understand different types of files you dropped in. Um, it could utilize external databases to perform, um, you know, tasks for you. It could Google things uh, or maybe Bing things. I don't know. At least search for things in the browser and then use that information to. Um, yeah, I mean, to, to accomplish things for you. Um, and of course, this sort of just on a higher level, I think, at least for us, but but for most software products, it's like you got to ask yourself the question, how are we relevant in this new interface? Just as, you know, previously we had to ask ourselves, how are we relevant on mobile? A lot of companies had to do that. Um, yeah, so a bit like, I, I think it's a pretty big thing. I think, of course, it hasn't been released yet, really. You know, it's in very early testing with a limited user group, and we haven't yet tried that ourselves, uh, or at least I haven't. Um, but yeah, I think it, it sort of makes it very tangible what this new interface will be, and that it will be able to um, be used for so many different things. What do you, What are you thinking about? last couple of weeks for yeah first of all um i think uh, we are not yet at the app store moment for open ai because just because it hasn't launched yet to general availability and i think they are probably amassing 
companies that want to build plugins and uh, and that's the primary reason why it's not launched yet because they don't they want to go out with a with a highly valuable product where a lot of companies already have their plugins integrated but uh, um, that could be fairly soon because it's a very easy integration and uh, unless they run into any major problems i think we're going to see it come out soon for for a lot of people but um I think that the things you talk about are the same views I have, that this is really going to be a game changer where AI is going to start to connect to the world in a, in a real way. And I always say that the web that we built uh, over the past 20 years is the perfect text interface to all of what we do as humans. And now we build a text AI. So it's basically like the like the the perfect progression for to allow AI to interface with our everyday lives. And it's interesting because it's um, I think that's another good point. So what I was pointing out was sort of like it's a new interface. In that way, it's comparable to mobile. But what you're saying is also it's 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 like it, it's similar to the internet as well, in the sense that it's something that connects everything we do or can connect everything we do. And if I come back to the plugins, I'm not sure like how, if, if this will be the way they do it. But let's say that, I mean, for our product for Multiply, we can connect to, we can um, ask, like our users can use ChatGPT within our product, including plugins. Then that means that AI can connect our product with other products. So it's like the ultimate kind of API connector in theory. Because we can, you know, users within our product can utilize the full capabilities of that app's ecosystem. Um, so just as, you know, if you have a product that's that's uh, you know, has an open API, then you can, in theory, connect to all the other, or you can, in practice, actually connect to all the other products that have open APIs. So I think it's... Um, it's something around that connectivity as well. So I think it, it, it's it little bit like it's starting to visualize that it's both like mobile and like the internet. And, mm-hmm. and may I think maybe it's something else as well. Um, sure. And uh, um, they are also connecting to Zapier. Zapier mm-hmm. is uh, awesome big store of, of many, many uh, integrations. So it, even even if you don't build a ChatGPT plugin as as a company, if you have a Zapier plugin, uh, your your offerings or your uh, web services might be available to OpenAI and and ChatGPT. And uh, and uh, one question we've talked about is whether this will be available through the API as well. If plug if 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 the AI version, sorry, the the API version of the AI will will also have the plugins, or it will if it will be a user facing thing. But it makes sense for it to be um, um, part of the API. That's how they've rolled out everything so far. That to make it available through API as well, and I think that makes sense. That's a strategy for them, and it also makes a good, a really good sense for users to get that for that capability available in all products using um, OpenAI services. Yeah, it's interesting because (laughs) I think it scared a a bunch of developers as well uh, and a bunch of software companies because 
up until now, it's been a little bit like, oh, right, yeah, I mean, OpenAI provides us all with the AI capabilities that we, I mean, of course, have to introduce to our, in our products because people expect it. And then you have ChatGPT, and that's cool and all. But now it's it's a little bit like they're also like, yeah, I mean, this is a new interface where you got to be relevant. Um, and they can, in theory, go, you know, a more an open approach, which I also think, I agree with you, I think that's the way they're going to go. But if you imagine that they were Apple instead, you know, if they would have the DNA of Apple, which, you know, they might make that choice, uh, then it's something, it's a very unique interface that could very quickly capture a large part of um, the usage, total usage time of all computers and mobile. Uh, just as mm-hmm. Google has been like, you know, you go to Google to do something. Here you will go to chat GPT to search and to get answers and to get shit done. And to, you know, there's so many things that you can, in theory, do through this interface, especially as it's able to use all the other, like, software products out there. So mm-hmm. it's going to be interesting to see, actually. Uh, I mean, I could imagine the strategy where they keep the plugins through their own interface and then give everyone else access to um i mean their their basic their base ai capabilities um through the api but i mean it's too early to say right but it could mm-hmm. make sense as a strategy um we'll have to see i mean it's just guessing yeah well i, I guess we'll we'll see soon mm-hmm. then the other development that was uh super interesting to see this week was uh, um the advent of of um um, autonomous AI uh, started out actually last week with a paper by a Japanese researcher called uh, Kajima that research, that released um, code for a task-driven autonomous AI agent based on GPT. And uh, uh, one interesting tidbit about his project was that his paper, the research paper that he released alongside with his code was written by GPT-4. Like the, he, he just wrote the code and then he let the GPT-4 write the research paper to go with it. And uh, GPT-4 had included, uh, included some uh, a whole chapter on, on the risks of building an autonomous AI and uh, maybe he prompted uh, the AI to do that just to, just to clear his own back. It's sort of, it's sort of a... Sometimes I feel it's sort of a greenwashing going on in some, some AI projects when they feel like Maybe this is taking things a bit uh, too far, too fast. Then they're throwing in a, a few paragraphs about how they are aligning their AI, or like these are the risks involved, but not really doing anything about them. And what were the basic anyway, like, basics of it? Like of the yeah. So the, anyway, work? the yeah the the basics is that um, he's augmenting an uh, interface towards uh, GPT four with a task database so he, he keeps he keeps a task ba- database of things that he's asking the, the ai to do and the ai itself when it completes a task the ai thinks about what what are the follow-up tasks uh, i should do now when i completed this first task and it enters them into the task database as well and then there's another agent that keeps reprioritization like that reprioritizes the task uh, list mm. at all times so the most important task is at the top and so it just 
builds this uh, continuous loop of uh, the AI never running out of work, basically. And uh, But also then the AI generating the tasks it's supposed to do and then doing them and then generating new tasks. Yeah, exactly. So it becomes, that that's the <laughs> autonomous part. So it gets sort of an, this task list becomes the internal state of the AI. And, uh, I mean, that, that's, that's like a sci-fi tasks. story where it just like ends up with like, maximize paper clips you know produce the yeah. maximum amount of paper clips that's the ai joke right that you know yes. the ai doesn't have to be evil to kill all of humanity it just needs to get stuck on something ridiculous like the most important thing is to 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 produce as many paper clips as possible and then yeah then that's then it does whatever tasks it it needs to 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 get that done yeah and then uh, someone released uh, um another open source project based on that called baby agi and uh, which is basically the same thing just with less moving parts they're doing the same thing with with a tighter core in loop baby agi is alluding to the fact that then that just as you say that maybe this is these are the first steps to to like this is the embryo or the baby of of future agi uh, that can act autonomously in the world yeah, I mean, it is it is very interesting. I mean, so what? I mean, if, I'm just thinking if I would use that if I had if I think about this baby AGI or this autonomous AI as my assistant as something that helps me, then would I really set like how would I use this? I mean, I would set like an overarching goal and then a first task, and then it can create tasks within that goal. That could make sense, but to just have it come up with a new task after it's done what I asked it to. Like I ask it to, uh, you know, write an email to a client for me. And then it's done with that. And then it just makes up something else to do um, without having like a clear context or a clear goal or a clear like framework no, for evaluating. It uses, the, it uses the previous task and goal okay. setting as, as context for the new task. Hmm. So it assumes that the first, exactly, the first thing you ask it to do is something you want more of almost or is something that you that that informs the ai what your priorities are sort mm. of and it it sort of uh, one thing it does is that it addresses the one of the biggest um challenges with ai that people assumes that it will like the quality of the output should be uh, top notch from the first uh, iteration which is not what you would you would expect from a human. You just, since you're used to software producing perfect results or not being able to improve the results, you assume the AI is, is the same. But an AI can actually iterate over a result and make it better and better over time. And and uh, this is a step towards that building building AI applications where. You can not instead of just asking the AI write write a letter about on this topic or write a poem, you can tell it to spend an hour writing this letter or spend ten minutes writing this poem, and then it, it can come up with a process for that and and spend time on on solving a problem. And if if that is if that is of a, of significant um, scope, so it's it's not write a poem. It more like do a market overview of uh, the oil industry in in Asia or something like that. Then, then of course, there are a lot of research to be done 
and uh, this is a step towards making AI that is comp- that, that is really capable of of taking on big projects like that. Yeah, it's amazing actually. Coming back to the other part of our the name of this podcast, like co-creation, um, like where this makes sense to me and it's very very interesting actually, and is close to things we've discussed previously, Martin. Is like if if I just think about this agent, this AI agent as a team team member, and this team member gets a role description, right? So this team member gets, you know, let's take something simple, um, generate a thousand uh, leads, you know, uh, for the the business, a thousand interested leads, um, and then this is like the budget, and this is the frame uh, of of what you're allowed to do and not, just as it would be in like a normal organization, right? You have certain mandates, you have certain budgets, you have certain goals, certain responsibilities. Then it makes sense that it can be autonomous within that context, right? Mm. So I think yeah. that is very, very valuable. And the same way that we've been discussing it, like if I'm uh, working on something together with AI, I would love it to sort of just help me get it done not me having to like tell it every step of it but but so there it makes a lot of sense actually um and i guess that's what sort of the basics of sort of prompt engineering is starting to be is like providing a frame like you are an uh, a marketing expert um and then asking it something about marketing right mm. and then it can come up with steps and do it um, and you I think can even you, you can even tell it you're 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 a marketing beginner. Become an expert as your first step. Yeah, that is interesting. And same thing with like your example of the do research of the oil industry in Asia. What I find quite interesting with these models is they actually need to do work to produce good results. Like you say, they need to iterate. It's not like this way. I'm like sci-fi imagining artificial intelligence right that it just like zoom it's created something like it's used you know all the information in the world to produce a hyper intelligent result maybe that will come as well but right now it's it's actual next word prediction so it's doing work using the result of that work to do some more work using the result of that work to do some more work so it will probably be relevant to do things like you said hey i have a hundred dollars i want in in api costs i want uh report of the um, oil industry in, in Asia specifically explore this question. Um, and then it will produce a report um, for that budget, uh, potentially. Mm. Yeah, so I'm, that, that's actually, it's, it's quite, it's a very interesting like thing on its own. Mm. Definitely, that research paper. And then if we connect these two things, then it becomes super interesting to have the autonomous AI get access to the open AI plugins or the ChatGPT plugins, because then the autonomous AI can uh, book the hotels or or uh, check the weather or do any any one of a thousand things using Zapier or, or the, the plugins that will be in there. That's going to be a bit scary for all the people that, like afraid that AI is coming for us now, giving like an autonomous agent access to real capabilities. But that's coming, of course. I mean, that's already coming. And it's going to be hard to, I mean, no one's going to track all the API calls, right? That the AI does. 
like all the steps it takes to accomplish something for mm. you. You're just going to be happy that you got it. It might do something else also. <laughs> In theory, I mean, I'm not get scared. Yeah, to be honest. But and uh, the and and what the one thing the Auto GPT project does is that they are by default not enabling full autonomy. They they are keeping the user in the loop by the AI asking for approval on every step. Mm. And uh, and of course there's a middle ground as well. You could have you could have a setting like uh, ask the AI and of course this is that this is where it becomes more maybe more trust based than than engineering if if that's if that makes sense. But uh, like you give it limits or you say like if you if give give every task a score of one uh, of uh, one to a hundred and if it's above 50 then then ask uh, ask first ask the user first or if it's like involving real money or or uh, actually affecting the world in some way then ask the user first it's interesting though like i think personally like leaving aside the debate whether uh, like agi will kill us all you know like some people are discussing I think that really won't be a, um, um, like leaving aside whether that's a real risk or not. I think as this gets applied, people won't even think about this. No one, like it will only be like a few intellectuals and researchers that think about this and maybe some business leaders, et cetera. But the average user will not want, like they will not feel they need to keep an eye on what their AI is doing for them if it gets the job done. It's like after a while, you like it, it was very quick until I started like uh, trusting Google Maps more than my own memory. Like that was quite quick, like my own sense of direction. And I think this will be the same, to be honest, for good and bad. Um, but yeah, I, I think it makes sense in any case to sort of use systems like autonomous AI systems that are very transparent with what they do and like what actions they take so that you can monitor that it didn't do anything stupid, you know, that it didn't send like an email to a thousand uh, people on your email list with something inappropriate, you know, things like that. You are like, think at least for the coming, you know, until these become much, much more advanced and much, much, we have a, we are much, much more used to seeing AI perform things for us. We are going to want to monitor it, but not for that reason, not for the kind of, sci-fi reason uh, but for the just like does it do anything stupid uh, yeah. which is also why i think it makes most sense to monitor and a and really good uh way no matter if you're worried about the end of the world or worried about the, the ai spending the money you have on your paypal account uh, what is really good about the this trajectory with uh, auto gpt and baby agi um, what they're doing is they're actually putting a normal uh, like the state of the AI is recorded in natural language in a database where any human or any other software can look and monitor, the, the, look inside what is going on. Mm. With the core of the GPT, that's not possible but because the core is just 175 billion um, floats in a database or, or like weights. Uh, and it's not possible to look inside and see what is going on. It's a black box. And, we're, and it, it sort of makes sense if you are worried about the end of the world um, because of AI, to keep uh, the the black box doing only the inner core reasoning and have it like being fully transparent with what it, what what is is it thinking, what is it planning, 
by forcing it to have all those plans and thoughts and reasoning in natural language instead of the uh, the uh, the layers of of neural networks. And that's interesting. I agree. And that's that's interesting because that's also I feel the way that they have gone with GPT four. It explains wh- what it's going to do before doing it, and then I think it also like often reasons about why it does what it does, right? Either before or after. I can't remember. And I think that if I correct me if, if I'm wrong here, but the way I understood it when I read articles about this is this is a conscious decision by OpenAI to get better results for their users uh, of GPT-4 because they see that the results are better when the AI is forced to set up a plan for what it's going to, how it's going to accomplish your task and um, ask for more information when it needs to and reason about why it's going to do things the way it's going to do it. So it's almost like that's already like they're starting. That's not the core, right? The core is what you say. It's these 175 billion weights, right? But then they built this, I don't know what to call it, this uh, shell around the core or this sphere around the core with uh, supporting infrastructure that helps you get to good results as a user. And then you can take that, all the work that's been done there, and then you can create these very simple, potentially autonomous agents for specific purposes. Um, where um, kind of the API use is already adapted to explain what it's going to do, plan what it's going to do, um, reason about why it does something. Um, so I feel like that, yeah, that's the way they've been going, right? Or, or do you have another? Um, no, that's uh, that's basically it. it um, they, they, uh, listening to Sam Altman's um, interview with uh, Lex Friedman. Uh, he talked about how they have had to uh, get a hundred or hundreds of things right in order to get GPT-4 happen, and they they spent something like seven or eight years on on creating it. Uh, it feels like everything is be going really really fast, but that's just because they are they are making decisions to release uh, results of their work very fast. It it has taken a lot of time, a long time for them to get here. Yeah, they've they've really like been loading up to be like in their releases now that they mm. got going. Um, yes, or at least that's been the result, whether or not it's been conscious. Yeah. I think this makes and sense. They, no, go on. And then they wanted to keep the momentum by by releasing the like the, the by announcing the the plugin system before it's uh, possible to make it available. But but I think that is in order to fill it up with with useful plugins before releasing to to the general public. Yeah, I really like I really think that Sam Altman is is has a real gift for strategy. That's what I sense from the way they're executing, right? Of course, like they're really good at like the technology and all that stuff, but just the way they're playing this really high stakes game versus some of the biggest companies in the world, you know, is 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 quite amazing just from that standpoint. Yeah, and, and he he's been sitting at the top of Y Combinator for a long time, just looking at what's and having as a as a primary function in his job to look at what what is the right thing to do in a company, what is the wrong thing to do in a company. So it makes sense that he is a really good strategist. Yeah. After, after that. Yeah. I think what you just did makes a lot of sense for us to do in these episodes. By the way, is mention like other things that like that we've been reading or listening to that are valuable, and then we can put them in the show notes. 
so I agree. Like the Lex Friedman interview with um, uh, with Sam Altman was amazing. I mean, that's on YouTube. Mm. It's just a Google. I also listened to the chief scientist. I'm not sure I can pronounce his name. Um, the chief scientist of OpenAI. Uh, he had. Uh, yeah, I think that was also Lex Friedman I listened to. No, I listened to the one with the, the Lunar Society, which was also amazing. He's a very, very interesting guy to listen to if you just want to understand, um, I mean, I guess the science of this. Um, is there anything else you've been reading? That you, and I mean, of course, the chat GPT like, plug-in release, uh, which was also on YouTube. We can put that link in the show notes as well. I think that's a very worthwhile, like 10 minutes, seeing the different... Um, different use cases um, in this new interface. You mentioned, of course, this research paper. Is there anything else you've been reading or, or listening to lately that uh, you think are valuable for people to listen to? Um, um, mostly I, I spend my time right now reading, uh, following up on the, the proceedings of all the open source projects uh, coming out on top of, of GPT. Uh, there was this announcement uh, last week as well about GPT for all, which is uh, a fine tuning of uh, of facebook's uh, uh, leaked uh, a, 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 ai and the the, the llama um, model that came out and and was sort of leaked out in the, and there's been a lot of open source projects coming out built on top of that and um, gpt for all was a fine tuning that made it more uh, um, chat gpt like and um, um, there was a couple of things interesting with that. Uh, one thing was to try an, um, a, a more old school um, language model because uh, it, it's very noticeable how ChatGPT is fine tuned to hold a conversation. And then when you, after having tuned, after I have tuned myself into having a conversation with an AI, I've sort of gotten out of of the habit of of writing the the prompts to make it work myself the way we worked a year ago with with gpt3 and, and da vinci and uh, what we're doing now is uh, is uh, relying a lot on the conversational skills of the ai and with llama and gpt for all none all of that is gone so uh, the the stuff coming out is a lot more raw and you have to really wrangle with it to to, to produce uh, good results but it's still ge just generating text. And um, of course, uh, anything built on Llama cannot be used commercially. And and um, um, But what they're doing, the GPT for all team, what, what they're doing is to put together an op completely open source um, language model to find, train and fine tune one of the existing uh, open source models that will be available for commercial projects, um, and and that will be interesting to see what they if they can produce quality that that comes on par with with uh, the GPT models of OpenAI AI or some of the other proprietary models like Claude um, uh, that that people are are um, just now getting availability to. Yeah, on the topic of that, I think we're going to round off now. But uh, I also listened to a really good interview with Emad, who's the founder of Stability AI, Unstable Diffusion, etc. On Real Vision, I think it was, was on YouTube. 
Uh, I can also put the link there. And um, it's going to be quite interesting to see like how uh, they're basically doing an open open source models of this, like all these models. They're training stable chat now, which is going to be their chat GPT competitor. They already have the stable diffusion, like the image generation competitor. I think they, they're going for all modalities now. I think they also had... Uh, like yeah, they had a bunch of cool releases. Like they can have full image editability via prompts now, so you can take your own image and then edit it uh, via prompts, etc. Um, and their main point was, or his main point was, that there's a bunch of private data out there, and they're not going to want to send that to OpenAI. Which yeah, I mean, I think it makes sense, like cloud versus on like on-prem software, that a bunch of companies are going to want to keep it like fully controlled in-house. Um, especially when they have like valuable proprietary data sets, et cetera. Uh, but yeah, that's definitely worth a listen, I think. Um, mm. And maybe something to dive into in, in a future episode as well. Like, like how will this landscape shape up now with different types of actors? Um, I've been thinking a bit about that, how like this will play out now with this, you know, with the plugins and with this, you know these closed models and uh, these open source models. Uh, so that would be that would be an interesting topic for another another episode. Awesome. We'll put links to all of these in the description of this uh, podcast episode. And uh, I think we are going to close out this uh, recording. And if you have thoughts or comments as a as a listener to co-creating with the AI, let us know and get in touch. And we'll happy be happy to to bring up the topics that you care about and want to, to hear about. Thank you, Rasmus. Thanks a lot, Martin. See you soon. See you soon. And uh, dear listener, tune in to our next episode in the world of co-creating with AI.